my burnout, I think, was humongously related to not really caring about what I was doing. Anxiety is basically a bedfellow of entrepreneurship, right? Because if you think about what anxiety is, it's consistently imagining up a future that doesn't yet exist. That is what mm. an entrepreneur's job is. Mm. So, like, yeah. how could you not have an anxious existence? Your body giving you an alarm signal that what you're doing to yourself is not good. And you need to make sure that you're looking after yourself. Our guest today is a bit of a legend. Dan Marisata is the host of Secret Leaders, Europe's top business podcast. He's also the founder of brain care company Heights, and he's using his platform to advocate for better mental health. We were particularly interested in talking to Dan because of his open and candid account of his own mental health struggles, be it burnout, chronic anxiety, and ultimately insomnia. Dan shares with us how he ignored all the signs his body was sending, how much effort he put into pretending that everything was fine. How could it be that he was struggling when everything in his life looked and felt great on the surface? And yet, why was he struggling with his sleep? Why do we, as an entrepreneur, tell ourselves stories to normalize the challenges we're facing? How much of this is influenced by the image of entrepreneurship provided by media that we adopt unchallenged? And how does ego and masculinity play into it? It was through a friend's recommendation that he consulted a nutritionist who recognized instantly that Dan's problem was not psychological, but linked to his brain and his plant-based lifestyle. Changing his diet to make sure his brain gets all the nutrients it needs transformed Dan's life and ultimately led to him founding Heights to provide high-quality supplements at an affordable price. For Dan, rest, the right nutrition and regular movement are key to improve mental health. And he sees it as our responsibility as business builders to build companies that live these principles and create the right culture that allows people to better manage their mental health. Please meet Dan. This is Naked by the Future Farm where entrepreneurship is stripped to its vulnerable core. Brought to you by Vladimir Kobrestinska and Nectarios Lolios. And remember to subscribe, follow and rate Naked to help us share it with the world. Dan, hi there. Awesome to have you on Naked. How are you? <laughs> That's such a funny sentence, isn't it? I'm wearing clothes is how I am, um, but I'm looking forward to emotionally unlayering. Oh, brilliant. You know, it's um, Nectarius and I. Hi, Nectarius. Hi, Nectarius. Hi, Vladi. Hi, Dan. Hi. <laughs> We've been talking with Nectarius uh, before preparing for the conversation with you that it's um, quite unique to have somebody so experienced in the podcast world as you. So that's quite a privilege for us. So, you know, you, you've been already, guys, he's been already giving us advices. So just FYI <laughs> before starting. But um, it's it's a bit like, like you're doing an X Factor audition and somebody like Celine Dion is sitting in the judging panel. It's like, okay, you have to be on your game. I'm more yeah. of a diva. And I have it here in front of me. It's like, you are the host of the Europe's first business podcast series, Secret Leaders. And then also I, I wrote uh, and I read somewhere that it describes, or you describe yourself as you are building currently the world leading brain care company Heights. 
I was thinking how to start the conversation and it's, as we've been reading up about you and you're writing yourself, I mean, you know, you're blogging, you're writing for contributing for Forbes. So again, there was a lot of materials to dip into. I would like to read out a few sentences if you don't mind, because I think that's a beautiful place to start from. Sure. Um, as long as the grammar was okay in those sentences and you're not about to give me an English lesson, then I absolutely well, go for it. People already know that it wouldn't come from me, believe that. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I'm on a spectrum of creating words myself. But so it goes around, in my nine years, I have failed four times and had two successes. And I'm currently scaling my latest company heights. During this time, I have suffered from three major mental health problems. First, it was a burnout. Second time was a chronic anxiety. Probably worst of all was my insomnia. Few sentences, a lot in there. Mm. Where on this journey of building number of those businesses did you realize that having a mental health struggles is not something that we should take for granted and overlook, but it's something that you need to put attention to and you started focusing on solving for it? Um, embarrassingly too late. So I'd love to say after burnout, but I think I'd be lying to myself. Uh, so I think after burnout, all that really happened, to be honest, is I realized, and I don't think this is true of everyone, FYI, but I realized for a certain personality type, myself, definitely one of those. I suffer massively from millennial syndrome of needing to find purpose in everything that I do. Unlike, you know, my father, for example, his purpose was, you know, being able to afford to supply for a family and that gave him a huge sense of fulfillment and purpose whereas I suffer from being of the generation where everything has to have meaning um you know that intrinsically drives me hugely Mm. and so my burnout I think was humongously related to not really caring about what I was doing so I was turning up to work every day um we were doing very well so we got a lot of attention in the media so we were a company called grapple and we won all of the awards and just there was a lot of pr and a lot of excitement and a lot of growth and a lot of hiring people quickly and all of these things um so the burnout is like understandable however i would say that uh, i still relate a lot of it to working night and day on something that i didn't really deeply care about and um, that was a huge issue for me. And I knew it all along. And then when I just couldn't get out of bed for a period of time, that was what really struck me. And from that on, I actually, that's not even true. Not from that point on. I then went to a, an event. Um, it was an event that I'd actually put on with with other entrepreneurs. But I basically, another thing that I do, which I don't talk about, but I just do. Um, this was in the old world, was I put on a ton of events um and all, all connecting entrepreneurs um usually i provide the structure but you know like any good founder i'm like this is the structure what do you want to talk about well you're hosting the event like i'll find you the venue i'll find you the audience but like what do you want to do so i turned up like as a guest in a sense to an event i was like helping host and there was this conversation on ikigai which i'd never heard of before which is essentially the japanese term yeah. for i guess kind of purpose um it's not really the Japanese term for purpose, but it's an easy, lazy way of describing it, um, which is essentially a Venn diagram uh, over a Venn diagram on, 
you know, what makes you happy, what you're good at, what fulfills you, yada, 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 ticking all the boxes. And I would just sort of stared at this picture. And that was when the penny dropped that I was like, I couldn't possibly tick a single one of those things. How depressing is that? Um, it was looking at this image of being in a company with millions of pounds of funding and, you know, 55 people that had grown super fast and all this stuff and just looking at that and thinking shit that is really not good so that moment made me reflect back on my burnout and reflect more on like why that had happened is because I didn't really care and I wasn't doing anything that I was good at enjoying or cared about or anything um from that moment kind of started plotting you know I guess like what's next and how next might come about um you know it's worth saying that it was a really pivotal moment in my life to experience seeing something visually that describes that you are so lost. And um, I, the reason I bring that up is because a sensible person might point out that if they've had burnout, it would be a really obvious time to stop. But that is just not how I treated it. I just treated it like, well, I've been working super hard, so this was bound to happen at some point. Um, so really... The, the actual answer to your question of when did I experience this happening? The answer to that question is after I got insomnia, because insomnia is, um, and this is worth saying as well, you know, I've had depression, but I've had depression from um, after my dad passed away. So just being very practical, like I'm quite a rational, you know, uh, very typical man. So must explain my mental health disease according to a circumstance. Uh, so I, yeah, I would say that after, after I had a uh, six-month bout of depression from my father passing away, you know, I'd experienced that, but it, you know, I was able to sort of relay it. So a grieving process, et cetera, et cetera. With insomnia, it not only came out of nowhere, but it's a hugely debilitating disease so or I don't know if it's classed as a disease but it's certainly a debilitating mental health condition mm. where everything is subpar so mm-hmm. at least with depression I was aware of my depressive state but I was able to crack on by compartmentalizing certain thoughts and feelings to deal with later or you know and I just I wasn't really up to seeing friends or, you know I mean, depressive state, and it got lasts a bit, and you know, it's and obviously everyone's depression is is different, and there's different levels, and there is no like one defined term. But my experience of it was I was able to function one way or another, um, suboptimally sure, but function. And uh, insomnia was just like death by a thousand paper cuts. So that was really the one where I was like, "Holy shit, mm. this is like a well." Firstly, I thought it's going to become my reality. So the hard part of going through the insomnia other than the obvious was people just think it's like never sleeping. But for me, it was actually I'd get sleep at midnight, then I'd wake up at 2 a.m. and I was full of energy. So I'd start to work. Um, That like first eight hours of the day before we actually got into the office at 10 was amazing. So I was actually really productive at that point. And it was quite exciting. But then in the office, I was a zombie. Um, What would actually happen over a period of time was my... I would develop really bad anxiety. And I had this joke, which obviously isn't very funny to other people with anxiety, but hey, um, which is, I think anxiety is like the, is basically a bedfellow of entrepreneurship, right? Because if you think about what anxiety is, it's consistently imagining up a future that doesn't yet exist. That is what Mm. an entrepreneur's job is. Mm. So like, how could you not, 
have an anxious existence when your job that you're putting pressure on yourself and your investors and your team and everyone is coming to you for answers to create this thing that doesn't yet exist. So to me, like having anxiety was a very normal mental health condition. So the way that I always felt about anxiety and feeling anxious was I think like a lot of people do. I think that a lot of people have anxiety and I think that it's, and, and certainly my work with brain care in general, I understand loads of people really do, but there's a difference between anxiety and chronic anxiety. So anxiety, I feel like is, is you know, this feeling that is very common to a lot of people and particularly ones whose jobs are to think about the future a lot. Chronic anxiety in my manifestation of it was certainly, you know, I would be in a board meeting and break out in hot and cold sweats and have to leave because mm. I just had a panic attack. And I, that is just embarrassing, frankly, uh, and, and really difficult to explain. Um, really difficult to present yourself as someone who's obviously got it together and capable of running a business in the first place. Um, you know, I do have to say that I felt my insomnia hugely led to that sense of chronic anxiety right because just like not sleeping for months on end i just want to hold on or pause and come back a little bit um because it's just so interesting in a way to uh where you were sharing how far you had to go where even like literally physically i felt sorry for your body because i could felt the somatic experience of mm. how far you you went to actually realize like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I cannot function. It was literally that I cannot function, right? Because the rationalizing and taking it for, okay, this is part of the journey. And um, I'm thinking also about what you said at the end, which was this cycle where you said that, you know, the insomnia led to anxiety. I want to understand a little bit there where the experience of building your companies and that daily living of that life was letting you to having that experience of insomnia and anxiety at start. You started unpacking that a little bit, but where did it like, where are the root causes for you of those experiences? Yeah. Well, I didn't know. Right. So this is the thing. I, um, I felt very much like um, when we talk about depression or I talk about any of the other things, I was like, Oh, this was the reason why that happened. Actually, when I got, it's worth saying, when I got my insomnia, I was currently at that time, um, things were going well. Because you're right, I had jumped around a little bit. This is, I hadn't really had the Ikigai moment um, yet. I was actually in a position at that point where things were going well. And in my private life too. And I do, it's also worth saying, practice a lot of, uh, you know, gratitude every single day. I'm very glass half full kind of guy. Mm. Um, I really, you know, I stare at a tree in wonder i mean i've done it about 15 times today so my um my experience of suddenly being in a spot of not sleeping one night was incredibly surprising and i kind of put it down to all right i'm not mm. sleeping one night there must be something to it okay i'm not sleeping again there must be something to that like why is that happening but after a couple of weeks it was really hard to understand at all and I started to go through a bit of a process of like how I can potentially like unpack what's going on right so um at this point I was trying things like um well obviously calm like you know as in trying to meditate get sleep as well as sleep stories I was trying sleepio which is a cbt um app mm -hmm. for sleeping 
I was trying, I mean, all of the different things. And over a period of four or five months, um, I was just ticking boxes, right? So, you know, do I have more alcohol? Do I have no alcohol? Do I smoke weed? Like, is that going to keep me to sleep? Like I went to the, um, I went to the doctor and he gave me sleeping pills, which like, you know, I was explaining to him like all of my symptoms and what was going on. And sadly, he just, you know, sleeping pills was the only answer that he really had for me, which actually wasn't the right answer. But I was kind of frustrated because in my opinion, um, I was like, that's not going to solve anything, right? That's just going to help me sleep tonight. But obviously, I must be having a problem. And this is kind of the issue when you're unpacking a lot of these conversations uh, or you're unpacking a lot of these issues is, you know, you do want to get to the root cause. Like you're saying, you do want to actually figure out what's causing this problem. Um, unless, you know, if you're just given a sleeping pill, that's not an answer. That's like a quick band-aid. So I never took it. I still got those sleeping pills. Um, but actually, I was very stubborn. Um, so I continued not to sleep. I continued to feel like shit. And um, I, by complete coincidence, and, you know, by this point, by the way, I'd gone to sleep therapy. I'd had a normal therapist. But things were really good in my life. So there wasn't a lot to unpack. Like, the only problem in my life was that I wasn't sleeping which becomes a very meta conversation because um, there isn't anything else to unpack. So it's like the cause and solution to all my woes and worries at that moment. And, you know, what's giving you anxiety? I'm like, the insomnia, you're not listening to me. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like, generally, I think things are going really well. The company's growing super fast, but like, I can't sleep. That would give most people anxiety. Um I ended up going to dinner with a friend and she just an entrepreneur, right? And I say just an entrepreneur on the basis of like, after all these medical interventions, like no one had this insight that she did, which is, she just said, have you heard of brain nutrition? And I was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. You sound pretty weird. And she was like, well, I mean, you've just tried everything on a psychological level, right? You've just, you've got a mental health problem. You are saying, I have a psychological issue. And you've gone to therapy and you've gone to a doctor and you've gone to all of these different things and nothing's worked and you're still sleeping like badly, such not at all. So quite possibly it's not a psychological issue, right? It sounds like it might be a biological issue. You might actually have like a brain, like a physical brain issue, not a mental issue, but it might be something to do with your actual brain. I was like, I just didn't think about it like that. I said, well, why don't you go and see a dietitian? So I went to see a dietitian on the NHS. And I didn't really know what a dietitian was, it's worth saying, but basically a nutritionist that deals with sick people. Um, so essentially like a doctor that deals with food. And yeah, she diagnosed me in about a minute when I explained what my problems were. It was a very uncharming lady, I'll always remember. Um, she was very much like just nonchalant uh, as they come. And like, what's your problem? I explain, right, what have you tried? I explain, she's like, right, this is what you need to do. And I was like, I mean, everyone else for the last six months has like come up with all these things and you seem very clear. She's like, well, I am clear. This is what's wrong with you, right? So she was just very unwarm um, and actually quite terrifying. So I was like, oh, I better do what she says, otherwise I'm going to be in trouble, not sleep again. Um, so she recommended- So what did she, she tell she, you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, she, she basically pointed out um, the insight that a lot of people had, uh, ignored was like I was on a plant-based diet and I had um, basically gone from being a meat eater all my life to a vegan about two years before this so this is about five years ago now um, I always like to be an early adopter so trying to be vegan before anyone else 
Um, and um, as a joke, um, I promise you both look very stern at that moment. I was like, I'm not actually a terrible person. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, so, um, but yeah, I'd, I'd been a vegan for like a year and a half and I had supplemented B12, but I had not thought about the other, like the other things that I might be missing from my diet. And a huge part of the vegan and vegetarian movement is to demonize the idea that you can't get everything in your diet, um, which is a problem because people like me believe that propaganda, which it is. So she kind of unpacked all of this for me in a very sarcastic way that I quite enjoyed. I thought it was quite funny. And mm. it's like, you basically just need supplements. So she was like, you have a brain nutrition problem. Most people, and this is why she was so confident. She was like, most people that are coming into the NHS right now with mental health problems like anxiety, like depression, sorry, not depression, like insomnia, um, and actually including like some schizophrenia issues at the moment are having brain nutrition issues. And they tried so much on the psychological issues. And she's mm. like, that's why I was able to diagnose you so fast. Take these supplements, these ones particularly were DHA omega-3, B vitamin complex, and um and uh blueberry extract. And she explained the reasons, and your brain has not been able to like process getting enough omega-3s and DHA essentially um to build itself. So what's happened is um you've created a deficiency in your brain. Um your brain is literally starving of a nutrient it needs and it's giving you physical real world warning signs all over the shop that you need to switch up your nutrition or look after yourself or do something. And she's like, this is like basically your body giving you an alarm signal that what you're doing to yourself is not good and you need to make sure that you're looking after yourself. So that's as simple as that. So once you start taking three supplements, you'll start to feed your brain what it needs to thrive and it will build it back up, right? So these are supplements to take, come back and report to me. And that was kind of it. She, um, <laughs> I always remember within a week of sleeping like a baby for the first time, my anxiety went away completely because I had my first night of sleep and I was very excited. I called her up to tell her how amazing she is, how she's the best thing ever, how she saved my life, yada, yada, yada. And she basically couldn't really wait to get me off the phone because she was very much like, yes, I know. This is Fascinating. And we never really looked at the biological side of things. We, we talk about mental health manifestations uh, in, a, in a different context. So this is this is yeah. amazing to, to listen to. And it's it's really insightful. And ultimately, uh, your story leads to you founding your business, mm. which is taking the supplement uh, with heights and actually packaging them in a way that that are much more financially and commercially digestible to people. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, there's there's something. So, so when you were telling your story about experiencing insomnia, I could so relate because I've been through this. Um, and there was something very interesting that's happened. And I would like to, to hear your view on this because I would be very public about this. I would tell my friends, I would tell my colleagues, my co-founders, my team that I wake up. I mean, for me, it was my window was 11 till 2. So I had these three hours of solid sleep and then I was awake mm -hmm. and I would have so much energy and so much productivity. But I was encouraged by my environment. So I would come to the office at morning at 9 a.m. and my co-founder would say, I always look forward to waking up in the morning and having like 50 emails from you. And mm -hmm. I got a kick out of that. It was literally, and I'm, I'm now sort of somewhat embarrassed to admit to this, but operating on three, four hours sleep a night was a badge. It was something like, because I came into entrepreneurship quite late, right? And it was like, okay, now I'm living the life. I'm actually a true entrepreneur because I do everything that I read in the books and in the magazines. And, and I, I do my three hours of sleep and I'm super productive and I cruise through the day. And of course, for me, my crash came like six years later when I had my burnout. Mm. Um, by the way, my recognition of burning out 
was the day before my dad passed away. So there is an, another odd similarity with the grief. But how was it for you when you were actually in that in that really low moment where you're physically struggling and you said you, you described yourself as a zombie? Were yeah, yeah. people around you receptive to that? As in, not, not the medical or... or um, yeah, it's a good question. To be totally honest, I, I would say I was much the same as you. Um, I only really told my business partner about you know, never being able to sleep. For everyone else, it was mostly like I'm just struggling to sleep or I had a bad night's sleep. You know, that's kind of the way that I would speak about it. But only really my business partner and my now wife, but then girlfriend knew. Um, and I, so I didn't publicize it like that, but I definitely did personally have more of a hustle. I'm awesome. I only need two hours night of sleep. Look how productive I am. That attitude, that, conversation in my head went on for at least three months until I no longer could function right mm -hmm. and then I was like oh wait hold on a second this is embarrassing I guess I was wrong about that but yeah for at least three months I was totally telling myself the story that fit my agenda which is I'm an entrepreneur um I mean basically if you do the math it all stacks up right I'm an entrepreneur the more hours in a day I have to be productive and do work mm -hmm. the more successful I'm likely to be therefore I suddenly have two days worth of what everyone else has one day worth and therefore I am the best and they are the worst. Yeah. I'm going to win and they're not. And we are told that a lot, you know, told, I mean, Elon Musk still says that stuff and it might be true for Elon Musk. Um, but I think that's kind of the point, right? Which is, I think it is true for a handful of the world's greatest minds ever, but I'm also pretty sure that, you know, there's a good argument to say potentially they're not that happy. And it's good to hear people like, you know, Jeff Bezos talking about, you know, a good night's sleep is one of his biggest tools of, of making sure, like, he prioritizes his sleep, eight hours, you know, if he doesn't get it, he's having a terrible day. I think it's really important to have people like more of that, you know, because we all look up to the Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, whether we like to admit it or not. But more of that and less of the Elon Musk, like, no sleep vibe is probably healthier mm, for when yeah. these things happen to us and we catch ourselves out and we're like, wait, which narrative was I meant to use? Can mm. we can we add another another dimension to this? And you mentioned it very briefly, but it's something we actually don't talk a lot on our podcast. But you've been you've been doing a bit of work with our with our friend Jamie Clements, who runs the amazing mm. podcast called Man Down. How much of this is also touching upon the definition of masculinity? It's not just our entrepreneur, but it's also quite manly to to kind of function on a couple of hours sleep. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because I guess like most mums would be like, <laughs> most mums function in their early days on just a couple of hours of sleep. They just don't tell everyone about it. They just get on with it. So I wonder if the manly part is like the moaning about it too. But um, I I think there's definitely an aspect of that. I guess like it's hard, right? Because I can't speak others. And I'm very happy to speak about masculinity. And certainly in my relationship, you know, I'm the feminine one and my wife is mm. the masculine one by every measure. Um, but, you know, and I'm very sensitive and she's very blunt and I'm very um, open to my emotions and, you know, she's not as much. So in all of those different measures, I think so. But in this case, I don't know that it was about masculinity, masculinity as much as it was about um, hustle. It's more of a sector thing more of an identity thing. I don't think it yeah. makes a difference whether I was a man or woman. I think it makes sense that I was an entrepreneur and that's what entrepreneurs do. I yeah. think that's the angle. Yeah, I also think here that 
it it comes back to what do we celebrate and what do we see is the sort of a vision of success, right? Like mm-hmm. what is the glamorized stories that we read in those magazines? And you 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 talked about it a little bit then at the beginning, and I want to come back to it because you were talking about the deep intrinsic motivation that was lacking in your first business and it led you to a burnout. I want to come back to it. Where are you today? And I think what you shared with the Heights, obviously it already tells that there is that personal experience. So I guess your emotional connection to it much mm. be much more, much more fulfilling. Um, but I'm curious about that. Tell us a little bit more about, and, and, and also how do you define success today for yourself? Obviously money, bitches and alcohol, of course. Um, <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. Yeah, naturally. So I, I mean, for heights, I'm like highly intrinsically motivated. We're going to focus on the science and everything that we say, we're going to back up with a science paper. We're going to link back to the science. We're going to do all of this stuff, right? So instantly this started to become a brand project that felt like credibility was at the heart of it, that trust was at the heart of it, that my values were speaking through into the product. And as soon as you start to like think deeply about what your values Mm. are, and how you're going to bring your values to the world through a manifestation of a product that you will create, which will turn into a brand, which will turn into multiple products with a brand mission. As long as your values seep through in from the first moment into that, then I think you find yourself very intrinsically motivated. And it's very different to what happened at Gravel. So at Gravel, we basically had the motivation of starting a tech company because we'd already built a business and sold it and had a bit of money. So we were like, let's just take, let's just, you know, create a gamble. We'll throw some money into a tech company. We'll do something. This is a space that's heating up. We've done some analysis. Mobile commerce is going to be an exciting thing. Let's do it. There's no values. There's no purpose. There's just opportunity. And I learned that I'm not very financially motivated like that. And I learned the hard way that my ego actually, you know, even my ego has a limitation to the things it cares about. After a while, the awards, the number one slots and all this kind of stuff, they just didn't make any dent anymore. And actually, it just started to feel less and less fulfilled. So very lucky experience to go through young in your life. If you can have, you know, the opportunity to have the awareness mm. in your mid-20s that that stuff is actually quite meaningless to you because at some point you get diminishing returns on how it makes you feel. Then you can start to spend your 30s thinking about what will actually extend that sense of fulfillment. So I take myself as very lucky to have had the failure that I Mm. had because I learned those things early. Um, And that meant that I was incredibly purposeful about how you start this company. Um, And, you know, it's worth saying, I know this is sort of meandering around your question, but I think it's really um, one of my favorite facts about my company. My business partner and best friend, Joel, same one as from Gravel, him and I worked with um, leadership psychologists and behavioral psychologists before we ever knew what company we were going to make we defined our company values and what we did was a post-mortem on our last company played the blame game a lot got everything off our chest like therapy um, then established where my values were where his values were where there were overlaps where we could clearly build the best values out for the company and we basically landed on four values that would define what we did in our company before we went through an exploration process of what business to build. Do you use it when when you go on your Instagram and you you might get the you know the dopamine hits from a thing that you already know by experience that they are sort of 
In some way, it's a playing the game because also they're important as a tool if you use them in a healthy way. So with all that respect, mm -hmm. but sometimes we go beyond that limit, right? And it just consumes us fully. Do you come back to this compass? Like, how do you use it in, a, in order to help you to come back to your balanced self? It's a good question. I would say I have a love-hate relationship with social media like so many people do. Um, I try really hard to um, make sure that what I'm sharing on social media is um, like short, actionable and inspiring things that you can do to take care of your brain. So I try to be quite purposeful that when I'm posting on it, like, for example, and I, the most common feedback I get, if you look at my stories, like every single day I do a post and a story on, on my walk because I'm trying to remind people to go for a daily walk, including when it rains, including when it's sunny. It doesn't matter. Go for a walk um, because it is literally one of the things that's going to make the greatest difference to your mental health there and then, whether it's good, whether it's bad. I encourage our team to have meetings, like walking, like all sorts, everything. So like for me, that's using my social media as a reminder. It means at least if someone, and this happens a lot, at least if someone looks at my social media that day and they haven't gone for a walk, it's a nice nudge to them. So, oh yeah, cause it's easy to forget these things. So I, that's like on the on the posting side. On the consumption side, um, I think it's fair to say like I am on a journey like everyone else. I suffer from the same uh, resent self-resentment when I feel jealous of other people's um, accomplishments. You know, I... I do a lot of work on myself spiritually, mm. breathwork, meditation, I mean, everything. Ayahuasca, like you name a thing, and I'm like open-minded to having tried it and delved deep into ego death and my soul and, you know, back again. Um, and try hard like on a daily basis, right? Like I'll walk in a park for 10 minutes and just no music, no distractions, no phone out and just look at the trees, look at dogs, usually laugh at the dogs because um, they're usually being quite funny you know I try and be present for these things as much as I can yet I will go on social media and like find myself suddenly feeling jealous about someone else's success mm. and I'm like that's not me that's not the person I'm proud to be that's a horrible horrible version of myself why do I feel that way um I think those moments where I've got better is to stop and you know accept that I'm not an awful person I'm having a human emotion my ego is getting in the way and the best thing I can do is observe the thoughts rather than like hate myself for having the thoughts because that's what social media is designed to do. And I'm not a jealous person. Like generally speaking, I am really into, um, you know, celebrating other people's success and I make a big deal of other people's success as well. Yet sometimes my ego gets the better of me and I catch myself out in these horrible moments. So I think it's like, it's important to say um, I am, very far from perfect and I constantly um catch myself having these imperfect mm. thoughts mm. and um and I think it's fascinating when they happen and that I'm on a journey to try and improve it but, and, I, and I, I believe that you can get to the zenith of it never happening but um I just say that I'm not there yet yeah we, we know you think <laughs> no, no meaning like we're there this, together yeah, this 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 resonates a lot <laughs> yeah um let, let's uh, th this was th thank you for for being so honest and also but also for being so so detailed about about your your path uh maybe kind of as a final question um to, to wrap up you mentioned a couple of things you're already doing to look after yourself now 
What are the other practices that you felt after all the experiences with those three major mental health events in your life? Uh, are you practicing uh, to just keep some balance in your life? Mm. So I actually spent the last couple of years, I mean, it's worth saying that now I've written 145, I think it is, newsletters every single week, according to science, like what science papers say you can do to take care of your brain. And it's worth saying just because science says it doesn't make it true, but I just always thought that was a good, uh, you know, a good litmus test. It's better, better place to start than pure opinion. Um, I've had 56 guests on our Brain Care podcast. Um, and so... The reason I'm saying this is because I've spent a lot of time consumed in not just what other experts are saying to me, but then what science papers are saying and then trying to distill it down. And actually, over the last two months with my team, we distilled um, what we call our brain care principles. So 10 essentially things that we can turn into habits, so to speak, of how to take care of your brain, which um, we've created. A, like, there's a web page and a PDF that's free, obviously, for people, which you can find at yourheights.com forward slash brain care. We'll um, share that. Thank you. Yeah. But um, so I won't go through all of them because, you know, there's 10 and that's a boring list. But my three top ones would 100% unsurprisingly be sleep, mm. nutrition. Actually, we call it rest. And the reason why we do that, by the way, is because, um, you know, Sleep can be broken up. And also, as I've learned from sleep scientists and more, uh, and parents especially, that, you know, you can demonize yourself for having three or four hours uh, sleep a night. And that's not helpful either. There's no reason why you can't take a nap in the day and re-energize yourself. So we call it rest, um, not sleep, but, you know, similar principles. So rest, nutrition, unsurprisingly. And by the way, we always recommend people to get a better brain food diet, not take our supplement. Because it's not about um, taking a supplement. The clue's in the name. It's a supplement. Mm. Um, so the idea is eat better brain food. It's just that it's hard and it's very expensive and you have to eat quite a lot. So it just happens to be very hungry organ that is relatively difficult to feed properly. So, yeah, nutrition. And then the third is is get outside, movement. Um And one of the reasons why my favorite one is movement. And we say movement, by the way, we never say exercise. Again, we've done like so much work in, on very careful language because no one likes these long lists of how to be perfect all the time. It's hard enough sometimes just to like wake up and function in society. So putting extra pressure on people about how to do X, Y, Z, be your best version. That's great for like the 1% that are there in their lives. But actually for most people, genuinely to have good brain health, So it's quite simple little things that are easy to turn into habits. So movement doesn't need to be a peloton, a hit ride, a run. Movement, in fact, is actually better for you, generally speaking, if you had to choose to do 30 minutes of walking every day consistently, will do more for you than 30 minutes of hit three times a week kind of thing. It's the regularity and it's the habit that you can form that's better. So movement is my favorite because of all of the other things as well. So movement for your body, movement for your brain, um, getting out into a park means that you're now looking at nature, which is like incredibly powerful for you anyway, one way or another. Obviously you have the oxygen, the fresh air. Um, from a habit stacking point of view, like you can listen to podcasts, you can listen to music, you can listen to uh, you know, an audio book, which I do. So I, I tend to read um, inverted commas because really listen. But I tend to read about a book a week by just going for a walk. I mean, it's just so simple. So these are things that I prioritize. 
Um, and I think there is one thing as an entrepreneur that you do get an opportunity to do in your companies, which is you get to set the rules. Um, I do feel like we need to do a better job of normalizing certain things. So we normalize walking meetings. I mean, obviously remotely now. So I think, you know, we all have a responsibility as founders to set the right environment. Like another example is, you know, we have full mental health cover for all of our employees and I take therapy and I do my therapy during the week, during work hours during the week. And I encourage other people to as well. And half the team have taken up since I've admitted that I do it. But like the cover's there, we pay for it. You might as well do it. Um, and I think there's just like certain things. If you look at the data, you know, I think it's like 60% of the UK anyway is is employed by small to medium-sized businesses. So if you think about those 6 million businesses, which I think is what it is, if you think about those 6 million businesses, then that's 6 million founders. So 6 million founders employing 60% of the workforce in the UK. Well, what if we could encourage them all individually to take more of a stance on creating good mental well-being habits, good brain care habits for people in mm. their teams, no matter whether there's three people in that company or 249, where that number <laughs> caps out. It doesn't matter. As long as you are leading from the front and normalizing these things, you're creating an environment for your team where it's more normalized. And I think that's where we can have a massive impact um, on uh, on mental health in this country anyway. Yeah. I mean, this resonates big time with us, um, both on the responsibility of us individually as founders and leaders at the companies, but I think also from a perspective of other stakeholders who are creating the entrepreneurial environment and the nurturing environment, which today I would say it's an, it's, 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 it's doubtful that it's nurturing, right? So trying to actually point to those I'm going to use the opportunity because you write for Forbes. Actually, the way I personally found you was through your article where you were talking about the mental health struggles of entrepreneurs. You have a podcast platform, Secret Leaders. Where can media do a better job at helping destigmatize this topic? Because that's mm. that's a big sort of a pain point that we are seeing and the impact of media is massive on how individually then we define success and 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 live our journeys as founders and company builders yeah i i mean i don't have a lot of respect for the way that the media generally deals with it in fact like even forbes in fairness like um you know they it's it's weird and interesting but they've actually just stopped my account and i was asking them i don't understand why mm. and And the only difference between what I was writing about and what I have written about lately is mental health. And actually, those articles have had so much more engagement. But I get, and I was like, you know, I don't want to put you in a bad position here. But I mean, is it literally because I'm writing about mental health that you don't want me to write for you anymore? Um, and they're like, well, we, you know, we can't comment. It's an editorial decision. You know, no okay. answer. No mm -hmm. clear answer. Um, mm -hmm. And I started writing for entrepreneur.com, which, um, I mean, so far haven't <laughs> haven't stopped me writing about mental health. But You know, that did stop and make me mm. think. It's like the business, biggest business publication in the world. And because I basically stopped talking about success and money and growth and started talking about mental health and burnout and ADHD and, like, you know, mm. actual things that are prevalent in an entrepreneurial society and delving into them, you know, I'm just like, stop. So okay. I think there's an aspect there that's interesting, which is also what we're learning a little bit in society, which is, If it's not your platform, you don't have the choice of talking about what you want anyway. So I think that's why we're also seeing broadly like a much bigger creator economy 
um, you know, less and less people trust anyway what the big media outlets say. They control mm. the tone, they control what gets said. Um, if you want to talk openly about mental health, do I really believe that the media likes to share those stories? Not so much, to be honest, for whatever reason. I don't know. I, you know, mm. I don't have an overly politicized point of view on this yeah. stuff, to be honest. All I yeah. can say is that on a um, on a personal level, I think it's unbelievably important. I've always been a mental health advocate. Um, I have mental health stuff in my family. My uncle is a schizophrenic. My grandma died of um, Alzheimer's. So like I've always been interested and curious and lived with and grown up with people that have these experiences. Um, so for me, like this is just part of life. Like, like pretending it doesn't exist is like complete bollocks and like an odd choice so i like why the more we do that the more we make it a weird thing anyway like and and also i think you know to the point of me saying that and you both laughing like it doesn't have to be like a doom and gloom conversation about mental health all the time like you know we don't all have to take ourselves so seriously like i sure as fuck don't like i don't take myself seriously at all and i think that there is definitely a way to speak about mental health with good humor Mm -hmm. and a way that engages people in a way that isn't just like terrifying and all or nothing it is normal yeah. yeah, exactly. Normally, there isn't like anything else you talk about that can be quite mm-hmm. funny. Mm-hmm. You know, there's but a that, time and a place, and you've got to pick yeah. your moments and all that stuff for sure. But like, it's this thing. It's like it's not this big scary thing that you just like hide in the cupboard and like everyone's so on eggshells to talk about it. And I guess that like you know comes a little bit into like cancel culture and stuff. But the stuff is easier to talk about when you've had a personal experience with it, of course. Mm. But um, yeah, I wonder why Nick Taras was laughing, but. When you were describing your family tree and the the mental health experiences in your own family, it just brought back to me our conversation that we had last Friday with Michael Freeman, um, a clinical psychologist, psychiatrist that you know because you quoted him in your in your article, and he's mm-hmm. sort of a legend in the research of entrepreneurship and mental health. Mm-hmm. And he actually made us understand; he normalized it to the level that we learned that entrepreneurs are genetically um, wired there's a predisposition for you to actually develop and be exposed much more to mental health challenges if in the family he basically told us have a look on your family tree and most probably there will be somebody with diagnosable mental health problems so that you know having that fact like scientific fact at least for myself made it even more normal um the one more thing also react to what Dan you were saying in terms of, you know, the whole situation with Forbes, which is a shame. Um, but you made me think because this is when we are thinking about how, you, how do you drive a systemic change? So very often when you can't change the system from within and when you try, basically what you do, you build an alternative system. And that's what I link back to what you said about creators, that we have a voice, we create platforms now to actually use our own voice and narrative to, you know, build the new new way, the healthier way to, to be our role models ourselves. So thanks for, for doing so. And, and today's a testimony to it. Thanks for thank being you. on Nate. Well, thank you for giving, for lending me your platform to do so anyway. Join us next week to reflect and digest. You've been listening to Naked by The Future Farm, where entrepreneurship is stripped to its vulnerable core. To learn more about our work, sign up to our newsletter or visit thefuturefarm.co, where you can also apply to be a Naked guest. Naked is produced by Dan Turgil 
and edited by Catherine Dworkin. And remember, subscribe, follow and rate Naked to help share it with the world. <laughs>